1: Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, 92.9thegame.com. We are College Football Overtime. I'm Garrett Chapman, and of course, the man to my right, our stage left, however, I don't know what way it's going to be, but you know, he is Abe Gordon. Uh Abe, how you doing? How was the week of football, man? Crazy, crazy week. Because I, before you answer, everyone told me that Saturday was supposed to be a snoozer everyone said it was going to be a Uh, there wasn't a single uh, ranked uh, ranked matchup and lots of lopsided spreads but Abe we had anything but we had some wild finishes just an incredible week of college football
0: yeah I know the schedule's crazy next week and and we're certainly looking forward to that but these are the weeks that always show up you're right no ranked matchups and Maybe you're channel surfing and trying to find games. These are always the ones that come back to bite you. And for the second week in a row, we have nonstop action. The noon games deliver. The 3.30 games delivered. Some games you didn't expect would deliver did. And certainly the night games. And then because of how things set up and because of the storylines and because of a 10.30 kickoff way out west, it mm-hmm. delivered deep into the night. It was nonstop. It's always these days, and maybe not at the very top in terms of some of the results, but man, a lot of that through the middle of the conference action was outstanding this weekend.
1: It was fantastic. And we had a lot of interdivision or interconference play uh, between Washington and Michigan State. You had Kansas State and Missouri end in just a wild finish, yeah, a 61 crazy. yard. I think that was an SEC record. It was say SEC record, yeah. Just an incredible finish in that one. Uh, I mean, just another great week of college football. And and we're going to get through all of this, so we're going to recap all the biggest games of the week uh, like we do every single Monday morning. And then we're going to finish off with our week three takeaways. And, Abe, uh, we got to start jumping into these college football playoff rankings here in just a little bit because we are, believe it or not, now 25% of the way through the college football season, which is just an incredible thing to say out loud. And and honestly, this is just such a beautiful thing. I love this sport. We all love this sport. I know if you're watching this, you love this sport too. And it goes by fast. It goes by really, really fast. But let's get into the action from what we saw from Tennessee. Down in the swamp, the house of horrors for the Tennessee Volunteers. They have extended their winless streak in Gainesville to 20 years. It's been 20 years since 2003. Have they gotten a win? It, it's just been just such a lopsided rivalry in the favor of Florida. It looked to be changing. the The, the wins looked to be changing for Tennessee and Josh Heupel. Um, then all of a sudden, the actual football happened. Abe, what would you see in this game? I know you're a big Florida guy, so I know you're you're probably feeling pretty good.
0: Yeah. So so it's weird because. During the show Saturday morning, I actually picked Tennessee, but I laid out two things that Florida needed to do if they were going to win this game with some caveats on top of that. I said, look, you have got to run the ball and take as much pressure off of Graham Mertz as possible. And I said, by the way, let's get the ball to ETN. He's the best running back on the team, and for whatever reason, they just don't feature him the way you would Mm -hmm. see a team normally feature a guy that is the best running back. Doesn't mean he doesn't get touches, but it's kind of like the Detroit Lions. Like, why are we not using Jameer Gibbs? Like, let's use ETN. They did on Saturday night, and it paid off in a big way. Uh, What was it, 172 rushing yards. 172 and a Big one early on, which really helped set the tone, helped keep the crowd in it, did a lot of things for that Florida team. And then the other key on the other side of the ball was pressure Joe Milton. He makes mistakes under pressure. He did that on Saturday night as well. That was a huge key. And for a lot of people who questioned Billy Napier questioned the Florida program, maybe look too deep into what we saw week one uh, in that Utah loss. Um, and I'm not saying what we saw Saturday is necessarily what this team is going to be all season, but certainly a little bit more of their capabilities. This is a team that can compete in the sec and Napier has got things moving in the right direction. In fact, Moments after the win, they got a four-star running back for the twenty twenty-five class. So we talk about twenty twenty-four all the time. Mm -hmm. They're starting to build twenty twenty-five, and that is on the heels of what was in the swamp Saturday night. That is because of the atmosphere and the win and that sort of stuff. That that if you lose that game, I don't think you're getting the four-star running back that night. But that's how it went down. This was huge for Florida in a number of ways, Um, and for Tennessee, for Josh Heupel, like you mentioned, that big step back into, all right, there's now four or five teams in the SEC East that are behind Georgia. And I have no idea who is ranking that group, but Tennessee's in that same group as Florida and South Carolina and Kentucky, maybe even Missouri. It's a mosh pit in there with Vanderbilt on the outside watching from behind. But, uh, yeah, this is a bad performance from Tennessee. They have a lot of answers uh, or, excuse me, a lot of questions they're going to need to answer the rest of the way.
1: Yeah. And Florida's right there in the thick of things. Uh, they look terrible week one. Yeah, uh, I know lots of questions were swirling around Billy Napier, but this is a, this is a signature win for the Florida Gators under N- Billy Napier. I mean, week one, they looked brutal. They had penalties. They looked sloppy. This game, they dominated the trenches and look in college football and the SEC in particular, if you dominate the trenches, you're likely going to win the football game. Uh, we've seen Georgia do that for the last couple of years and, Um, That is what Florida was able to do in this contest. And I think that's one of the things that Billy Napier wants to bring in and establish that culture in year two. Um, I will say, though, Florida was able to run the football pretty effectively. They did a a very good job. Like you mentioned, that was going to be a major key for them. But on the other side, Tennessee, make no mistake. Everyone looks at the the high flying passing attack and they say, wow, this is a team that really wants to throw the ball. Not so fast, my friend, as Lee Corso would say. This is a team that wants to run the football. They like running the ball, and they like to do so effectively. They did not do an effective effective enough job at running the football in this game. They had just exactly 100 yards rushing in this game. In a road environment, that's just not going to get it done. It's not going to get it done. and, And look... The penalties were a concern. The rushing was a concern. They got pressure onto Joe Milton, and that's a concern. Like you mentioned, the guy isn't as effective when you get some pressure on him, like most quarterbacks are, but he seems to wilt a little bit if you can get into his face. Um, and on the other side, Graham Mertz wasn't sexy, but he was efficient, and he got the job done. You know, And, and if if they get that out of Graham Mertz, I think Florida could win a couple football games, let's say you.
0: Yeah, it, 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 it's a little bit more than game manager because he does use his <clears throat> legs, for speaking mm-hmm. of Mertz here, and I think that was an important aspect, certainly on uh, certain drives, extending the plays or, or running for the yardage himself. I think that was an important aspect. I actually thought Tennessee needed to do a lot more of that with Milton, and you got these big athletic guys. When you have a Jalen Milrow, we'll get to what's going on down there in a little bit, but you got to use mm-hmm. these guys for what their physical and athletic traits are. And uh, I don't think Tennessee did that properly on Saturday night, and Florida took advantage of what they could. Uh, for Graham Mertz, no interceptions and, and, and making smart plays, extending drives, that's really all you you're, – you're not asking Graham Mertz to be Anthony Richardson, okay? Hmm. You're not asking Graham Mertz to go win you games. What you need is Graham Mertz get the ball in the hand of playmakers who can win you those games. And, yep. and so I thought he did a very good job of that on saturday night he should be very proud billy napier should be uh, really proud this was a good win from uh, win. A, a team that uh, at least from the fan perspective again myself included did not expect um coming in i, I thought you could see probably midway through the first quarter that th- they were going to be up for it and uh and they certainly were
1: yeah and like i said when we opened this is a house of horrors the swamp is a terrible place for the Tennessee Volunteers and it's going to continue to be that way. I, I they haven't won back-to-back games against Florida in since 2003. Yeah. And Josh Heupel, I mean you got to figure this out if you if you want to be a consistent not a top dog in the SEC East, you have to win these kinds of games. And it, and look, it just didn't get it done. The 0 for 3 on fourth down, just everything was against them, the penalties, everything else and they just looked kind of bad in this game. Uh speaking of not looking good though. The University of Georgia in the first half. Brutal. Things got a little dicey for the dogs early in this game. Spencer Rattler was cooking mm-hmm. in the first half. Uh he was what 16 of 18, 152 yep. yards and a touchdown in the first half. But then the light switched and all of a sudden Georgia remembered that it's the back-to-back national champions. Um, six of 24 passing 104 yards for Spencer Rattler in the second half. He got beat up by the Georgia defense once they figured out, Hey, we're a pretty good team and we, we can, uh, we can get this done. Um, Carson Beck, he's okay, but the offense in and of itself has been a little uninspiring. What have you seen from them
0: so far? Yeah, look, it's another slow start, and they missed a field goal early on as well, which kind of even shined a brighter light on, on the lack of points in the first half. But it's the it's the slow start, as you mentioned, on the other side of the ball that concerns me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you weren't worried the past two years about when Stetson Bennett would cook in or when that run game would work because the defense was dominating at such a high level. You really only needed – you felt – in recent years, you felt you were good at 17 points. The game was over. Uh, based on what I saw, that may not be the case. And look, UGA did dominate in the second half. And so the question is, did you figure something out in the second half? At what point are we going to see that second half effort show up in the first half to the tune of 21 points with none? Well, at what point is
1: it going to burn them if it Well, does? that's
0: the other aspect of it. It, it. it is either two, one of two things is going to happen. If they continue these slow starts in the first half, it's going to bite them. No doubt about that. At some point in the season, it will bite them. Or on the flip side, they get rid of the slow starts. They look like the team we saw in the second half starts to show up earlier and earlier in games, starts to show up in the first half. And maybe we get back to a little bit of the domination that we saw last year and the year before. But at the end of the day, and I'm going to stick with this mantra for as long as I need to, all they've got to take care of is winning games. There were a lot of teams who were ranked pretty close to Georgia that did not look very good in the first half either. Florida State was struggling. Michigan was struggling. Alabama was struggling. Texas was struggling. Let's not sit here and pretend everyone else is looking great early on and Georgia's limping around, trailing by double digits. There were a lot of issues across the country uh, Mm -hmm. on Saturday for these so-called power teams, 20-point favorites and all this and that. To do it against an SEC opponent, to turn it on, whatever they found to be able to find that against a guy like Spencer Rattler, who's been so good and was good in the first half. It still does impress you a little bit. You just want to see it as a complete effort. That's going to be the key for Georgia uh, because what they did in the second half was incredibly impressive. Uh, And if they can look like that for an entire game, they look like national champions, but based on the whole effort, what we saw, A lot of questions still, not just on offense, not just on Carson Beck, but on Mm. defense as well.
1: Yeah, and and look, you you face your biggest halftime deficit in three years. It it wasn't since uh, what Jacksonville in 2020 uh, when they played. They played the Florida Gators that they had a deficit this big, and then they come back to score 21 unanswered points. You had booze coming down when they were walking in, going into the locker room. That that's something that I was not expecting whatsoever booze, but look, they figured it out in the second half. And like you mentioned, and then we're going to get into our takeaways later, um, but there were a lot of teams in college across college football that struggled a little bit and we're still early in the season and we're, and then, and this Georgia team still coming back from injuries. Uh, We did see Dejan Edwards uh, play in this game, 118 yards on 20 carries for him, big explosiveness that they would really been lacking. Uh, in their first two weeks of the season. Um, I think his health is going to be very, very beneficial for this offense just in general. But outside of him is Javon Bullard also missed this game. Lad McConkey just missed his third consecutive game. This is a team, look, they've won 20 games in a row. They're the best team in the country. And until proven otherwise, they're, I mean, they're the defending national champions for a reason, back-to-back national champions. But you're not immune from the injury bug, you know, and you've got to get healthy. And if this team doesn't get healthy, then they might have some more issues. Um, but look, they're still really good and they still dominate their opponent. But let's transition because I want to talk about probably the most exciting game of the college football season so far. Colorado State in Colorado, the Rocky Mountain Showdown. Deion Sanders, Jay Norvell, got into it a little bit earlier in the week. Something about sunglasses and wearing hats and drama. And I don't know why you bring that up on the eve of this game. But look, Colorado State came to play and they had Colorado on the ropes late in this game but if it wasn't for some heroics from Shadur Sanders he was just incredible in this game absolutely unreal and now how about Shiloh Sanders he also had a pick six in this game big day for the Sanders crew Uh, but they get the win in double overtime 43-35 Abe what would you see in this one What's what's your takeaway
0: yeah unfortunately i think it's a big wake-up call for colorado uh and they were going to get this wake-up call over the next two weeks i think it came a week early that yeah. it's not going to be as easy as it felt the first two weeks you've got so much more tape on uh on what you're trying to do now i thought their defense was exposed you can talk about the pick six you talk about travis <clears throat> hunter uh who's now going to miss a couple of weeks uh, due to injury on a dirty hit um but they were exposed on, on what they can do on the back end there. And, and look I, you know, one of the concerns that you sometimes have, and I, I'm not going to say this is a Dion thing. This is overall. When you get guys from the NFL who did it at the top level, the Hall of Famers, when stuff came easy to them at the highest level, it's very tough to coach because sometimes they didn't have to do things that lesser talented players have to do there's a real issue in the secondary and we'll see if Deion Sanders, who obviously we can't talk about what he doesn't know about the secondary, but he's got to make sure that he's addressing that the right way with the back end there, because the crossing patterns, they're going to just see more and more and more of those until they show that they can stop that. And this is a Colorado state team that is not anywhere near on par with the quality teams that they're no. going to come up against. And so, Look, they got their third win of the season. That's an incredible achievement, standalone based on what they were last year, what Dion did in the offseason. season. Um, but, but this was a for for. And look, who knows how it plays out against Oregon? But for this team, when you look at their schedule and you and you're like, well, look, they're three and zero. I don't see any reason they're not going to be seven, eight wins deep. I think they're going to run into a lot of opposition that that can handle what they're doing. The other thing that was exposed beyond just the secondary, the line play is going to be a real problem the next couple of weeks. Mm. And they're just, they're not good enough in the run game. Uh, they, they do an okay job in pass protection, but but they're not good enough in the run game. They don't create enough pressure on front with the defensive line. And while it, they were able to skate by barely with some heroics, as you mentioned on Saturday and double overtime, um, I don't think that's going to work the remainder of the season. And they've got a lot of figuring stuff out to do again. You don't want to take away from what they've been able to do and the story um, that it has been, but man, it almost came to a crashing halt. Probably should have come to a crashing halt. If Mm -hmm. we're being honest, Colorado state should have been able to put this game away and they didn't. Uh, So kudos to, to for showing that resilience that Dion talked about in his post game interview, but it is a win. That almost feels like a loss based on one you talking all. I mean, Yes, Jay Norvell talks some trash, but Dion talked trash after that. Dion didn't back that up. I'm sorry, he didn't. Uh, You can't come here and and play a team that you're favored by 20 points against, Garrett. Talk about they made it personal, now we're going to make it personal too. Make it an ugly game, do this, do that. And then limp your way, barely get there to double overtime. If you're going to talk it, which I have no problem with him saying it, back it up. I mean, you know how many people... Ended up betting on Colorado because Deion said they made it personal. It was going to be a nice, clean game, but they made it personal. And people were like, oh, man, they're going to run up the score. Here's my money. Let's pound it. Let's get that. Nah, that wasn't it. He did not back up the talk. And that, that to me, was as frustrating as the result itself uh, in, in terms of Colorado moving to
1: 3-0. Yeah. Um, I have three big n- notes. If you had told me before this game that – Colorado State was gonna have 17 penalties for yeah. 182 yards. Yeah. I was I would have told you that they would have run, run out of the building. But yeah. then on the flip side, if you had told me that Colorado was gonna have 70 yards rushing, that's it. Yeah, I would have been like, oh, actually, we might actually we might have a football game here. And that's really what it was. I mean it was a great game, it was exciting. But Colorado is in for a bit of a rude awakening yeah. when they actually get into Pac-12 play because the pac 12 is a very good conference this year. And like you mentioned, you said that the, the lines of scrimmage that they, that they boast are just not very good. And Oregon, they are one of the better lines in the, at least in the pack 12, you know, yeah. they're not an sec line necessarily. And we saw that when, when Oregon played Georgia last year, but it's still pretty darn good. And I think when Colorado makes that trip over there, they're going to be in for a bit of a rude awakening next week. Um, and then after that, they have, Caleb Williams and the the reigning Heisman Trophy winner and and the USC Trojans. Those are two very difficult games, and you're already starting to see some of the attrition from having to play two good opponents or three good opponents really in your first three weeks. Um, There was no time off. I mean, you have TCU week one, then you have Nebraska week two, and then, of course, a huge rivalry game in week three. And then you have all of this fanfare and drama and everything is all hyped up, and I don't know. A part A part of me is is a little concerned that the star has shined too brightly. And sometimes what happens with young players, they burn out. And I'm a little concerned that they're gonna burn out a little bit, and now they're running into their one of their toughest stretches of the season. And yeah, I am a little concerned that they're gonna roll into into Oregon and get punched in the mouth and not know how to respond. I mean, we'll see. And of course, this is me diagnosing and, and predicting uh, rather than reacting, to what we've seen on the football field, but look, I think Oregon's a better football team. This is gonna be the first time that Colorado's not the better and more talented team. Then we'll see how they react in this one.
0: Yeah, I, I think you make a great point about that star fading. It really happened in the first half of that Nebraska game where mm-hmm. it just it just wasn't working for them. And yes, they eventually got control of things, but but what it, helps it, when you it, have the, the moment the quarterback
1: you're playing has six yeah. turnovers.
0: The moment felt like it was lost by then. Coming off TCU, nothing was riding higher than Colorado. There's no doubt about it. Um, and, and the struggles, for me at least, the struggles in that Nebraska first half was like, okay, well, th- this is probably a little closer to what they are. Now they got the win there. Great job. Thought it was a really quality win considering. They got the win Saturday night, double overtime, Colorado State. Good job considering. Uh, but yeah, it's about to get a lot more bumpy for them. And again, because of the dirty play of Colorado state, you're, you're going to have to do that without Travis Hunter, which, which is just a terrible loss, obviously for the team. But for those of us who enjoy watching him play, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. I I think this term gets tossed around too much in sports, but I I would say in college football right now, he is the unicorn, uh, at least of the moment. And, and so, um, Tough to not to see him get to shine against Oregon and USC over the next two weeks. Certainly hope that he is uh, – it's a short-term setback yeah. for him injury-wise and and uh, get him back on the field because win or lose, whatever, that guy's an NFL talent, and I like seeing him play.
1: He's just fun. He's a yeah. fun player, and it's a fun team. You know, and, and that's Deion Sanders. I mean that's the effect that he has, and it's going to be a fun team. And, and I'm not rooting against them. I'm not really rooting for them. I'm not. I'm just cheering for good football. And as long as we have exciting storylines and everything like that, we're going to continue to talk about Colorado and Deion Sanders. But look, I just pulled up their schedule. Next week you're at Oregon. Then you have then you have USC coming to town. Then it's at Arizona State, Stanford, number 22 UCLA, number 14 Oregon State, Arizona, number 21 Washington State, and then number 11. Utah to finish off the season.
0: Yeah, I I mean, look, it's a brutal schedule. They've got. uh, I I was counting Mm. in my head as you were going. They they've got three games that they probably have a shot to win in Arizona State, Stanford, and Arizona. You Mm -hmm. don't win one of those games, you're not bowl eligible. And and that's not to say that five wins would be a disappointment, but you're already at three. And and I look at. I think they're better than Stanford based on what we saw them get into this weekend. I, I tried to watch the Arizona State game. That was embarrassing. So at that point, it's kind of left up to Arizona, and we'll see if Jaden Rashad is injured or healthy or what's going on there. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean, they're not beating – look, maybe I get a huge surprise, but they're not beating UCLA or Utah or or, or USC or Oregon State. I forget, Mm -hmm. Oregon. They're not winning those games. Mm -mm. And and so there's – again three three wins is great but there's no margin for error if the if you're resetting your expectations and goals for this Colorado team to becoming bowl eligible there's no margin for error at this point mm-hmm.
1: and I, I think one of the things that we we've seen in college football just just after people it's a revisionist history after people watch a little bit of football now they're like oh wow, Colorado is going to be x y and z and this goes for a lot of different teams your expectations change as the season sure. goes along and people need to remember where Colorado was last year and how big of a hole that they've been trying to climb out of over the last couple of years, you know, just in general for the last couple of decades. You also just can't
0: go a whole season on the adrenaline and energy that Dion has built in in, in these first three weeks. That's not going to sustain itself 13 Mm -hmm. times.
1: College football, just football in general, is a sport where you have to stay as even keeled as possible. And I'm a little concerned that Dion Sanders is a little bit too much like this. It's a roller coaster. And we saw some of the the valleys and the highs last week. Um, Talking about valleys and high, just the valleys. There's no high there. Alabama quarterback room is just abysmal right now. Abe, seventeen to three is your final. the The they traveled to Tampa, a soggy, kind of wet South Florida team in Tampa, Florida, and a soggy Alabama team came out to play. Uh, the Jalen Milroe was benched and he didn't get a single snap in this game, which I was very surprised, uh, especially with how they were running the ball in this game or trying to Tyler Buckner gets the start for, for Alabama, the Notre Dame transfer. He was sloppy five of 14, 34 yards. Then he got pulled. Then we saw Ty Simpson. Um, he was a bit underwhelming. Five of nine, 73 yards did have the rushing touchdown, but in a day where you're running the ball, I figured we would have been seeing a little bit more of Jalen Milrow, but this quarterback situation looks far, far from figured out. And I think that we have a serious
0: issue in Tuscaloosa right now. What say you? Yeah, this was a mistake. Uh, This was a panic move. This is my opinion, but this was a panic move that Tommy Reese begged Nick Saban to let happen. Uh, And I think one, one attempt of it has shown it to be a big mistake. They never should have gone away from Jalen Milrow. But, Tyler Buckner uh, is a quarterback who can just kinda throw the ball a little bit. Ty Simpson is a quarterback who can just kinda throw the ball a little bit. Jalen Milrow is a quarterback who can just kinda throw the ball a little bit. Now, If all three of these quarterbacks, and none of them are Bryce Young, and none of them are even Mac Jones, and they can all just kinda throw the ball a little bit, give me the one who can run. I mean, at the end of the day, give me the one who can run. It's probably your best chance. Uh, I don't think we're getting any growth from Simpson or Buckner that you weren't going to get from Jalen Milrow. And look, I'm not, that doesn't mean Jalen Milrow is the answer. The problem is they don't have an answer at the quarterback position right now, and that's fine, but uh, if none of these guys are the answer, give me the one who can run a little bit, and let's move forward on that. I mean, this was an embarrassing effort, um, and it was surprising. It was certainly surprising to hear the news that they were going away from Milrow uh, just based on what happened last week. I think this was a Tommy Reese plea, the new offensive coordinator there. Obviously Buckner comes down from Notre Dame after Reese does transfers in probably feels like he's a little more comfortable with his grasp of that offense. And some of the throws or what they're asking him to do, but then you put him on the field and that doesn't happen. And now Saban is ticked off. He makes you go the other route that didn't work any better and it, it, again, if you're me, if it's my opinion, now you have to go back to Milrow after not playing him a game and say we screwed up. We made him. I, I mean, I, I don't know what you do, but you got three quarterbacks, none of them that can throw. Give me the one that can run and, and actually use his legs this time. Uh, I, I said multiple times I didn't think they used his legs right against Texas. Uh, you got to use the weapons. You can't be scared about him getting hurt or whatever. Um, you got you got to use the weapons that you have. Uh, Alabama's in real trouble, and they got a big game coming up this week i know we'll talk about it on college football game time on saturday 8 a.m but um they don't have another game to figure it out this was the game for them to figure out the quarterback situation and all it did was maybe reset you even further we we don't know what the plan is now this was a really bad look they've fallen out of the top 10 for the first time in however many years and um Not very confident that that they're the squad to beat in the SEC West. They they may not even be the second-best team or even the third-best team in the SEC West. It is a really tricky position for Alabama to not have a quarterback right now.
1: Uh, We could see Dylan Lonergan in this game, this one coming up next week. That's just the... Put McClellan
0: at quarterback, and run mm. a Wildcat. Yeah, just do something. All they want to do is run Uh, the ball anyway.
1: Um, but it, it's really interesting that in a day that we, we see Alabama hold their opponent and on the road to only three points that we're only, all we can do is talk about the quarterback situation because it is a serious, it's it, there's recipe for disaster right now in Tuscaloosa. They, they don't have an SEC loss. And I think that's important to remember, uh, but that loss could be coming next week Yeah, when Jackson Darton company come rolling into town. And I know we're going to get into them here mm-hmm. in just a minute, but look, you're not you're going to have some serious problems if you're not able to score the football if you can't score you're going to have issues and i understand that you want to run the ball and you want to establish your, establish your offense that way and that's the goal this season but you can't tell me that and then do what you did on saturday against a lackluster opponent usf is not a good opponent okay I'm I think they got, work.
0: I think they were really surprised by the fact that they weren't able to throw. I, I, I think they made the switch this game because they felt they could have success passing against USF. And, I, and the fact that they didn't, I think really caught Tommy Reese, Nick Saban, and, and whoever's in the quarterback. room. I think it really caught them by surprise. Mm-hmm. They wanted to use this game as that buildup for next week, and, and it just didn't happen. You're absolutely right. The fact that you couldn't do it and use this game as a, a prep week. For, for next week is a real, real issue.
1: It's it's And it's especially concerning, like I said, yeah. with Ole Miss coming to town next week. Then you go head right on down to, to Mississippi State. Then it's Texas A&M, who we've seen have, have success on mm-hmm. offense with Connor Wegman and Bobby Petrino. Then it's Arkansas and Tennessee. Yeah. And look, the schedule's just heating up. And I have more questions about Alabama right now than I did before last week and I'm I have serious concerns and and look Nick Saban is the goat he's the goat but are we coming to a situation where we could be seeing the end of the dynasty of Alabama or is that just premature
0: if you're asking me personally I think it's premature because you've missed on one quarterback and I don't think that ruins your run towards the top if you miss on another quarterback though uh, I think you find yourself in a situation, and look, we asked the same question about Clemson. I think Clemson missed on, and they've got other issues with Dabo and, and what's going sure. on there, but DJU wasn't the guy. Cade Klubnik's not the guy. Now you're two years down the road with no quarterback, and and you've got to hit on that next one. I think Alabama's in this discussion, too, where they've just got to hit on their next quarterback, or, or you do start to really have those talks. I don't think we're there yet, though, certainly not with Nick Saban.
1: No, I don't think so. I, I think a lot of those conversations are a little bit premature and I think those are the people who are trying to dance on the graves of Alabama a little too little too early. Uh, so if you're gonna dance on the grave of Alabama dance, lightly <laughs> um but we'll see what happens when when Ole Miss comes to town that might be as a candidate for our college football game time game of the week there's I've a lot yet of candidates a, lot, a of, of lot of choices We a lot of choices I'm gonna
0: veto you on that by the way I already know no, game it's, it's gonna
1: it's it's gonna be Notre Dame and Ohio that's State exactly that's what I'm right. thinking it's, it's like, gonna be let me um,
0: say you this also in regards to this Alabama game because I sure. know we're not really going to talk about Texas a ton but it was interesting to see that we built Texas up a week ago on the backs of what they did to Alabama. Mm-hmm. And then one week later, Alabama really struggles against South Florida. We have questions about how good Alabama is. Texas struggles against Wyoming. They, they, it, now, they got going in the fourth quarter, but they were entering that fourth quarter 10-10. to 10. Mm-hmm. And, and because I have questions about how good Alabama is, I think it's only fair to now also relate that to a question about how good Texas is in a moment against the Wyoming team. I thought they could prove that they could back up their ranking, back up the talk. They didn't do that. You know who else didn't do that? Florida state, Uh, another conference game there uh, against Boston college. They don't get it. I know Jordan Travis kind of got banged around early on and they, whatever, but we immediately thrust these teams after big wins into they're the team that's going to represent their conference in the national uh, or, or, or in the playoffs, right? FSU is mm-hmm. going to go to Clemson in two weeks and roll right through it. And, and, and Alabama is going to do it. And Texas, no who's going to compete with Texas in the big 12. They're going to roll. They don't look great. And Alabama didn't look good. And, and you play that, 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 that factor of team A and team B resulted in C and then, they, and, and if Alabama doesn't look good, was that win from Texas as impressive as we thought it was just a week ago? I'm not so sure that it was, and then that gets backed up by the fact that they don't look good against Wyoming. So I think you asked right at the start, like, it, we're trying to figure out who's good. I, th- this week, it, it, it didn't answer any questions for me at the top. Not with FSU, not, not gears, with Texas. Man. Yeah, I, I, just, I just don't know anymore.
1: No, and and look, and it's still going to be an impressive win, for Steve Sarkeesian in Texas, what they did in Alabama, going well, on look, the road. we're going to
0: give credit, and I know it's not, it's not Wyoming, but we're going to give credit to Georgia for an absolutely dominant second half in which they outscored sure. South Carolina twenty-one nothing. I think to some extent you do have to give credit to Texas. It took them a little bit longer. It was fourth quarter only, but but they did get control that game and, and cruise to a relatively comfortable victory. Uh, you know, may, maybe I'm a little harsh on them, but. Uh, it, it was it was a little shocking. It was,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. In, in Alabama, it hasn't looked good. Florida State looked pretty brutal at times in this game. They looked yeah. actually thoroughly outclassed at times. Uh, they were outgained four fifty seven to three hundred forty. Boston College had eighteen penalties in this game, eighteen penalties. But look, they were down thirty one to ten, and then all of a sudden, yeah, wake up. And they started taking advantage of some some fumbles and, and they had one that they returned for a touchdown. It was 31 to 10. And then all of a sudden it's 31 to 29. And Boston College is, is about to kick the door in on Florida State season. Look, I, I think we're, we're, was this a situation where they were just looking ahead to Clemson
0: next well, week? it's partially that. I I think in general, it's a team that hasn't been here in a while. And it's a team that has to learn how to put teams away, has to learn how to win. And yes, as you referenced, has to learn how to avoid the distraction of upcoming games. I, I think you're mm-hmm. accurate on that. But, uh, you know, th- this is a team, I thought this was a good lesson for them. And, and, and Georgia has learned this over the course of the past couple seasons. But remember, Jordan uh, Georgia didn't just wake up and start winning national championships. They were failures at the highest level on the road to getting there, uh, yeah. including a loss to Florida in a game they probably shouldn't have lost. Uh, I, you know, For me, this is a step for Florida State that, that didn't ultimately cost them, but it's a reminder of you've got to remain focused on the task and you've got to uh, stay driven both week to week and in-game because it, it doesn't take much for another team to get you. And uh, for them, that that's how this felt to me is – is they took for granted that they had cruised out to a big lead. And once you turn it off in game, you don't turn it back on. It's very difficult to ramp back up. Uh, I-, I thought that was a lesson hardly uh, hard learned by Florida State and ultimately in a game that did not cost them. I think that's a yeah. good lesson for them.
1: Yeah, and, and look, this is still a really, really good football team. And by the and way, same
0: for Texas, too. But, I mean, that's a that's another yeah. team that hasn't been winning big games in, in the realm of no. what we saw uh, a week ago against Alabama, and I think what happened against Wyoming and the slow start—it's we part over. of the learning process of how you become a champion.
1: Yeah, and and this is on part of it, you know. I mean, it goes for the head coach, it goes for the players,
0: yeah, it goes for it, the fan for bases.
1: Literally, everybody's learning yeah. how to win. Yeah, and Florida State—I think you said it very well—they have to learn how to put teams away because it looked very much like they were all right, like they they started slow and. Boston college had the lead early in this game. And then, and then FSU just zips away and then like, all right, 31 to 10. All right, let's go. Let's move on to next week. Uh, let's get our our plane tickets ready and in, in, in an order for uh death Valley. And you saw that you saw them kind of turn it off.
0: You zone out. And totally they learned a out. good
1: lesson. This is a really good lesson because it's a lot easier to learn these lessons when you're still going into death Valley next week, undefeated still unscathed and, and no, not all wins are created equal, especially in college football, but losses still hurts you a lot, you know, and it's a lot easier yeah. to learn a lesson after a win than it is a loss. You look, you, maybe you, you retain it a little bit better if it's a loss, but look the they came out unscathed and look, at the end of the day, Jordan Travis is healthy. That was a little yeah. concerning. I saw, I got the update on my phone because I wasn't watching the game at first because I, I saw the, the scoreline. Well, Florida
0: State, Boston College. I don't blame it's you Florida State, Boston, Boston College. So. And, but <laughs> I got the
1: update on my phone that Jordan Travis was being tended to on the field. And I said, uh-oh, that's how seasons are derailed. But he comes back and he plays the second half. And he he, he looks altogether pretty good. Um, but look, this is a game that they shouldn't, they should not have been in the situation. They turned it off, but they learned their lesson. And I think that, we're looking ahead to next week, and I think next week's going to be a big matchup for them. It's a big test for them. Their second big test of the season. Um, it's coming to town big with, test. Uh, with Clemson. Say what?
0: Might be their last big test. We'll see. It might
1: It might honestly be their last big test. Um, but I, I still think that Florida State is the team to beat in the, in the ACC, and they've shown it so far through three weeks. Um, and next week is going to be a lot of fun. Speaking of critical matchups, man, that's another one that we're going to have to discuss next week. We're going to have so much fun. And of course we're going to be with you from 8 AM until 12 o'clock on Saturday. I believe we're still till 12, but we'll be uh, with you at college football game time on sports radio, 929 the game. But I do want to keep it into a local sort of thought here. Uh, Ole Miss and Georgia tech, Georgia tech was right there in this game. This was, a, yeah. this was, a, they were right there. Um, and I, and I think that Brent Keen company, this is a, this is a group that I think they're showing signs of progress. They're showing growth in the first year of Brent. King. Absolutely. I understand that they're one and two. I understand that they had the, the fourth quarter debacle and this one uh, against Ole Miss, uh, but they were, they were only trailing by seven points in the fourth quarter. So don't, don't forget that. And don't let the, the, the final score uh, fool you, but they also had that, the, the game against Louisville where they fall apart in the second half. But, We've seen strong first halves. We've seen little sights of, of, of things that Georgia Tech could be as they continue to grow and establish that culture. And And one person I'm looking at in particular is Eric, Eric Singleton. He, he's a true freshman, and he is a true talent. 97 yards and a touchdown in this one. Um, one off the, off the arm of Haynes King, who again delivers a, a fantastic performance. 300 yards for him again. But it's Jackson Dart who steals the show, rushes for 136 yards and two touchdowns, also completed 10 of 18 for 251 yards and a touchdown. And this was especially important in a day where Trey Harris wasn't playing. You're talking about a guy who who set the, I, I believe it was an SEC record, I, I'm sure it was an old Miss record, with four touchdowns in a single game. Uh, he's banged up. He's their leading receiver. Quinjon John Jenkins, of course, is, is dealing with a, a midsection injury, and he was a little banged up. They They kind of had him on a pitch count and that's going to be a especially important uh, thing to monitor as we move into Alabama week for Ole Miss. But Ole Miss on offense, they cooked. They were cooking. 48 yards or 48 points total for Lane Kiffin and company, big game for them. Abe, what did you see in this one?
0: Yeah, it was odd. It, it very similar to the game against Tulane uh where it, it, you're you're looking at a relatively pedestrian scoreline for Ole Miss. And then all of a sudden it's like three touchdowns in six minutes at the end of the game. You're like, Holy crap. They almost hit 50. Uh, But they, you know, with, with under eight minutes in the fourth quarter, they only had 24 points. So uh, obviously you'd like to see them turn, whatever they're doing at the end of the games, you'd like to see them turn it on earlier. Uh, Jackson Dart, uh, you know, it just, if there were any further questions about the, the, Spencer Sanders and and the transfer. I mean, Jackson Dart just keeps continue to prove why yeah. they're sticking with him and, and the athleticism, what he can do with the leg. He was very impressive. But I'm actually with you. Uh, what I took out of this game was much more impressive from the Georgia Tech aspect of things. Uh, look, they were they were there at the start of the game uh, and they weren't able to get it done, uh, turn the ball over on downs. Uh, I thought they had a bad fake pun. I thought Brent key did uh panic a little bit yeah. and because there was so much time and the way the game played out the rest of the way they, they would have been tied the base on it if you play it out and whatever. But I, I thought this was a good showing for Georgia tech. Now you still have to pick up the loss and you're going to have to deal with that. Um, you know, I, we're not here for moral victories, but I was very impressed with what I saw out of tech and um, Good things are, are headed towards that program. There's no doubt about it. This is a team that's going to continue to grow, and continue to impress. And, and look, just like we talked about with Florida State and, and Texas and, and learning how to win, that may not come this year. Um, but I think in this first year, they're taking steps forward. There's no doubt about this. This was a competitive game. All right. Uh, I'm very impressed with what Ole Miss is. And, and I think I'll talk more about that on Saturday morning but mm. um this was a competitive game w- w- which tells you where tech is to go on the road to a team like old miss who's uh i mean what were they they're gonna be top 15 right they were ranked 17th I don't they're know 17 they yeah so they didn't jump but but uh i mean they, they feel like a top 15 team to me and, and so for tech to be hanging around in this game for as long as they did very impressive it actually could have been even closer had they converted uh played a little bit more cleaner mm. um This was a good step forward, even a loss for Georgia Tech. There's no doubt about that. i really anxiously await them getting into the ACC play to see how they stack up against some of the teams that we're going to see them against the next couple of weeks. This was a good showing for them.
1: Yeah, and we're not going to have to wait very long because they have Wake Forest next week. And I think that's going to be an extremely important game for them as they're looking to continue to grow under yeah. first-year head coach Brinkie. and And, look, I, I think that this is a playoff – not a playoff, excuse me, a bowl team. It's a team that's going to be going bowling by the end of the season. And I, and I think if you want to have that, um, you have to win your games uh, against Bowling Green. You have Wake Forest. Those are your next two matchups. And then Boston College, that's a winnable football game. Virginia, that's another one. And then they, Historically, given North Carolina problems, I mean, the, I see enough games on this schedule that they should get to six or seven wins. I'm still pretty confident especially if the offense is going to continue to cook at this level. But at the end of the day, it's like, I understand you're playing a high-flying offense in Ole Miss, but you can't give up 550 yards of offense. That's just unacceptable. Um, I, I have too many expectations for Thacker and this in this defense at Georgia Tech. But um, they've gone from pretty good at times to just anemic at others, and they've had issues with tackling and, and other things like that. And, and those sorts of things, you don't just figure out how to tackle. That's a problem, and it's a systemic issue. Uh, that you need to figure out, and and hopefully it, it just comes from the players. And look, they're going to continue to grow and and become a better program, and I think they're on the right track to do that. But, a Gordon, I want to get into our week three. Oh, excuse me, our week three takeaways, um, and I, I'm going to start here because this thing is wide open, mm-hmm. yeah, wide open. I when I look at college football the last couple of years, you've seen pretty consistently who the best teams are going to be. Georgia's been widely the best team for the last two years. Before that, you have Alabama. And then before that, it was LSU who was so widely better. And then before that, it was Clemson and Alabama and everybody else. It's pretty clear who the best teams were going to be. And, of course, you have your Ohio States and your Michigans and everybody else. But this year, we're looking at a season where, we're, like I said earlier, we're 25% of the way through the college football season. Oklahoma and Texas are both off the hot starts. Notre Dame and Ohio State, they're playing next week. This is a, They're on a collision course for this weekend, and it's going to be an exciting game, of course. And I've, I'm, I've already made this. That's our college football game time game of the week coming up this weekend when we discuss it on Saturday at college football game time. Um, they're on a collision course right now, and I, I think the winner of that game is going to really have a front seat towards the, the, the college football playoff. But also, up there, you have Michigan and Penn State, two teams who I think are very good and could in any other year be – in the college football playoff discussion and they're going to be right there as the season continues to unfold the pack oh don't forget Rutgers who's off for a 3 and O start they've only allowed 30 points total this season so I don't, I don't think that they're going to be a contender and so I don't want to necessarily have them up in that same breath but I do want to give them that shout out the Scarlet Knights 3-0 and they're looking pretty good but you go out west you have The Pac-12, which is is causing all kinds of chaos, and I know we have differing opinions necessarily on the the Pac-12 about whether or not they can get somebody into the dance. Yeah. But look, it's a wild place, and a lot of wild things can happen. And then you come down to the SEC. I don't know if anybody wants to win it outside of maybe Georgia, who is sleepwalking again. Yeah, Uh, Florida has a loss. Tennessee has a loss. South Carolina has two losses. Um, Alabama has a loss. Texas A&M, LSU. Are we looking at a, a season where Ole Miss could be representing the SEC in the title game? I don't know. I don't think so necessarily. I still think it's Alabama, but they've got a loss here already. So I don't know who's going to win the SEC. It's wide open, and there are a lot of seats at the table right now. Uh, but it's a game of musical chairs that we will dwindle down to just four, and that's going to be just such an exciting season.
0: Yeah. it. it if the teams that we aren't, you and I, penciling in already – if they don't make their runs to the playoff and, and get in there, and, and for me, those teams, just, just thinking off the top of my head, you're looking at Texas, Florida State, Georgia, and Michigan or Ohio State or Penn State over. I, I mean, if, if those teams aren't making the runs that we expect them to make, you're looking at the first time in college football playoff history that a two-loss is getting in. And that's what you're looking at. There's going to be a two-loss team getting in there, and and that's where – my thoughts on the Pac-12 start to slide back in because, uh, you know, I feel like they're just going to beat up on each other enough to where they're all going to take a, a pair of losses. But uh, this might be the first year that a two loss gets in. It, it is wide open. And, and the teams that we've penciled in, I mean, again, Texas, Florida State, Georgia, and the winner of the Big Ten – if that doesn't play itself out, if Florida State goes to Clemson, let's say, and, and doesn't handle business, I mean, you're looking at a two-loss team getting in somewhere. So that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. Uh, the, the biggest takeaway for me, and maybe it's just like recency bias, we're now three weeks in uh, to the college football season, and I have no Heisman front runner. Uh, I've got no one. I mean, guys are putting up numbers, and I've mentioned it before. You're going to have to be throwing 350, 400, 450 yards a week like Michael Penix is doing, or three, four, five touchdowns a week like Sam Hartman is doing. Uh, and, and, look, I know there's certain games that guys will take that step to become uh, the Heisman front runner, But the fact that we don't have one now is really interesting to me. I, I could be wrong. I don't remember there being a season where there wasn't a clear guy. And maybe that guy fell off or didn't. But I, last year, just last year, for instance, Hendon Hooker came around pretty quickly. And, and it felt like he was the guy. For yeah. Until he got hurt, he was the guy. I mean, not week one. It was, for whatever reason, Anthony Richardson was the Heisman winner after week one a, a year ago with the win over Utah. But it felt like Hendon Hooker stepped to the front of that class pretty quickly.
1: Mm-hmm. A year ago,
0: um, and you had the other guys who were floating around. But even returning Heisman Caleb Williams isn't like he's not separated from from the group. I, I mean, Sam Hartman, Quinn Ewers, Michael Penix, but no one has separated themselves. I find that very, very interesting. Again, maybe it's recency bias, but I, I don't feel like in recent years I've been at a point where we're entering. You said we're twenty five percent of the way through this thing. And I don't really have anyone that's taken any steps to disassociate themselves from the field.
1: Well, Abe, we're getting into the conference schedule this week. Uh, we're starting to really see those games start heating up. I just pulled up the schedule.
0: Oh yeah, um, And I'm going to read it. this to you here Forget in just a second.
1: It. I'm really excited about it. It's the best um, week
0: we've had in a number of years, in my opinion.
1: This, this is going to be one of the most yeah. exciting weeks. Uh, and, and, and look, I think this is where we're going to start seeing the, the, the wheat separate from the chafe. And this is really what's going to happen with, with these upcoming weeks. And I'm just looking at it. Like, look, you've got Michigan and Rutgers. I just talked about Rutgers is yeah. 3-0 and right now. Florida State travels to Clemson. You've got Ohio State and Notre Dame. Penn State and Iowa, which is going to be just a sneaky, very good game. Seven thirty on CBS, that one. Oregon and Colorado, we talked about those two. Utah and UCLA. LSU and Arkansas. Bama and Ole Miss. Oregon State and Washington State.
0: Woo. It, it, get look, ready to
1: roll man it's gonna it's, be fun
0: it's not a make or break week necessarily well i mean it is but every like, week's make or break what we love college football to me this is a this is a front runner schedule and, and what i yeah. mean when i say that is you find out who the front runners are in a number of conferences through all of these various games look there's three different games involving the top three teams in the big 10 Mm -hmm. And look, they may all three win, but I think based on what we see, I'll know who my front runner is. If Ohio state wins and Michigan wins and Penn state wins based on how they look and all that stuff, I'll know who my front runner is in the big 10. All right. And and I think
1: all three of these teams face unique challenges in this upcoming week. And we're going to learn a lot about these guys. So you go,
0: you go to the ACC though, Florida state Clemson. I'll know who my front runner is. You mentioned a multitude of different sec West battles. Uh, 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 Now not in the sec East, but in the sec West, after this week, I'll know who my front runner is. And the same thing out west in the Pac-12. I know you didn't mention USC in that group, but but you mentioned Oregon, Colorado. You mentioned Washington. I mean, you said hey, USC's I mean, got Arizona know,
1: State. That's still going to be a good game.
0: But yeah, but I, I probably won't learn a ton there. But but my point is, there's a lot of games where I know what my front runner is. And then finally, in, in tying into that to the Big Ten, I'll know if Notre Dame's in, important to pay attention to or not because. If they lose this game, I don't know if they can get in without a lot of help. If they win this game. No, they have
1: course, to win this game.
0: Yeah. So um, th- th- this is like a front-runner schedule for me where I, I will learn a lot uh, uh, about who's real contender this week. Absolutely. And, look,
1: you got to tune in to the Odyssey app on 92.9 The Game this coming fr- Saturday. College football game time is going to be taking care of you. Abe Gordon, Garrett Chapman, and, of course, our buddy John Fricky. Uh, The three of us are going to be taking you all the way up till kick at 12 o'clock. But we are college football overtime, and that's it for week three. Uh, So make sure you're back here again on Monday because these are going to be dropping every single Monday morning, and we're going to be giving you those water cooler talking points that you want to have when you go to the office. You might as well wake up with us every single Monday morning as we recap everything that happened in the world of college football. For Abe Gordon and for myself, Garrett Chapman, Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. We are college football overtime. We'll see you again next week.